This episode is dedicated in its entirety to Michael James McHale. He's currently not well at the moment and we wish him a speedy recovery and happy listening. Cheers, Michael. I mean, we were all tired. I mean, Chris Maestias had been in southern Spain for a week um, in the blistering heat of Seville and Costa del Sol and all the rest of it where everybody decamped for that week. On the bevy, you know, espousing all the emotions that went with that UEFA Cup final. The travelling, the hangovers... 
the tapas on tap. But we're all tired. Everybody knew that. The thing is, it wasn't us that would go for a lie down. Hi Paul, it's Naz here with my memories of season 2002-2003. And most of the memories I have uh, are at the business end of the season, particularly given the way the season ended. So looking up the Celtic wiki to jog a few memories. And there's a couple of memories I have that uh, I would have struggled to have said were from this particular season. One of which is a 3-3 draw with the Huns at Celtic Park. This one has one of Henrik's best ever goals where he flicks a ball up and swivels to score while Amorous was trying to mark him. This is truly majestic from the King. One of the other memories was losing the League Cup final to the Huns where there was a blatantly onside John Hartson goal chopped offside. What we would have done for VAR back then. I do remember us being knocked out of the Scottish Cup by Inverness Cali Thistle again. For whatever reason, this game was played late on a Sunday evening. Having a regular seven-a-side football game, myself and my brother went along to play, not knowing the score. I do remember coming off and asking a fellow Tim going on to the pitch if he knew the score to be told of a 1-0 defeat. Not good. On the day itself, uh, for whatever reason... Before the game, I was driving through the gorbals and I seen a pack of Huns heading towards Ibrox. A few of those were sporting some T-shirts with the Porto Supporters Club Ibrox on the back of their T-shirts. Now, this is a, a kind of right fucking up you uh, after the weeks of jibes from us about you'll be watching the bill while we're in Seville and again, who can forget Beach Ball Sunday at their midden after making it to the UEFA Cup final. Uh, I would say that uh, the game itself was an appearance by Dunfermline because uh, whilst there were some like-minded or neutral folk playing that day, there were plenty in Dunfermline colours as well as in suits and brogues in the dugout that were rooting for the home team. The game itself for me was watched on the television. My memory of uh, playing at Rugby Park were of tight encounters with drop points or one or two goal wins. Certainly we would need to be on a top form for our goals that day and watching at home the tension was just as bad. Seeing the, I think, added to by the live real-time updates of goals from Ibrox. I do seem to remember many good chances being missed. Maloney, quite possibly one of those. Now I have no desire to go back and watch the highlights even after some 20-odd years. Also, Gordon Marshall playing out of his skin. Jim Jeffries rushing to put the ball back into play while his team's getting pumped. Strange times indeed. What does still reside after almost 20 years are the what-ifs, one of which is uh, Tomo missing the second penalty. I've never been a fan of the same player taking the second penalty in regular time. And also, 11 days before, on the 14th of May, a beautiful summer's evening home game against Dundee. They opened the scoring that day but we went on to hammer six goals to help the goal difference. Late on in the game, they get a free kick. Now, we were always susceptible to being punished by quickly taking free kicks, and this was uh, no different. My fears were compounded when they scored their second goal. Now, while the team was um, being thanked for the and wished all the best for the upcoming UEFA Cup final a week later. All I could think of was, I hope that goal doesn't come back to haunt us. And we had two games to define our season. We all know how that ended up. And Big Sutton was spot on with his comments after the game. And I'm glad he said it while us and the team were hurting and didn't leave it for these men was. Those are my memories. Hail, hail. The linesman that... Chopped off that goal at Hamden was a guy called David Doig, who worked for the council refuse department in Edinburgh and admitted the next again day that he'd made a mistake. Bit fucking late for that, Davy. I had been in Spain Monday to Friday that week. Um, left from Manchester Airport to Malaga, stayed in Ben Medina. Spent the first couple of days. Um, anxiously anticipating the UEFA Cup final and then the next couple of days being devastated by the outcome of the UEFA Cup final. 
Flew back on Friday, airport fully disconsolate Celtic fans, uh, back into Manchester, drove back up the road with the the four other guys I was with, Rab Tate was driving. I distinctly remember Peter Frampton playing in a pub just outside Manchester that night and thinking, you know, see if there had been any other circumstance, I thought, you know, just go in and see even a song just to say. But whenever I was back in the house Friday night and um, sort of conked out almost immediately, got up on a Saturday morning, at first thinking, it's all over, you know. After, you know, weeks and months of flights and tickets and travel and hotels and villas and all that kind of stuff, it was over. And uh, I actually went into a kind of real depression after that, which the doctor put me, put down to the fact that my life had been so hectic and then it just kind of stopped, which was absolutely true. Um, But of course, the season wasn't over. Because we had a game to play in the league, which still hadn't been decided, at Rugby Park. And we essentially knew what we had to do, which was to better the result of Rangers, who were playing Dunfermline. Now, the cards were stacked against us. As has been said on this podcast many occasions, Rugby Park had been a bit of a graveyard for us. We knew we wouldn't get an inch for them or their fans or anybody associated with them. And we also knew, you know, Rangers were playing at Ibrox, they were playing against Dunfermline, who had a management team of Jimmy Calderwood, Jimmy Nicholl, and Sandy Clark, three men who, to this day, have been openly uh, honest about their hatred of Celtic. And of course, the jungle drums had been beaten for a while before this. At the uh, PFA Awards, Jimmy Calderwood deliberately went up to Alec McLeish, the Rangers manager, and said, I'm just doing this to wind all the Tims up. They'll all see us talking and think that we're coming up and conspiring about stuff. And it's easy to be jovial about that, eh? jovial Jim there. But the reality was so much darker. Jimmy Calderwood, Jimmy Nicholl and Sandy Clark, when at Dunfermline, used to regularly go to a place called the Mucker Inn. Somewhere I've visited since just to see the scene of their plotting and um, they knew full well that they were going to lie down at Ibrox everybody within Dunfermline knew it was plotted in the mucker in And it was also known then, by the time that it was, that they would be on a flight to Spain at quarter past five that night. Now, that's been spoken about since. The reason that Jimmy Calder would give for this was, or we all knew what would be said about us, so we wanted to get out of the country as soon as possible. Hmm. The question I have for that is, how did you know that? Just think about that. He knew what would be thrown at them before the game started, so he knew that they were going to lie down and do whatever it took to ensure Rangers won the league. The 2002-2003 season will always be a, a bittersweet win for, for Celtic fans. Um, I remember 
the start of that season, I remember going to Fir Park and losing 2-1. Must have been four, maybe three, four, five games into the season. And I know Rangers were quite strong then. And to be honest, I'd say probably that period between 2001 to, say, 2004, I can never remember... Celtic Rangers being as strong with the personnel, really. I mean, you had players probably could have walked into most premiership clubs and you're vying for transfers. Um, like, you're competing with like premiership clubs for these players and, and both sides, to be fair. And, OK, yeah, we, know, we know the reason why Rangers had them, but... Uh, aye, so it was a... You know, it was like a really... Uh, like, big spell, I would say. Like, that's... Like uh, between those years for the Rangers Celtic games, and uh, there was like four classics that year, really. Like in the league, like there were like nail biters. I mean, obviously the three each at Celtic Park, uh, like a couple of Larson beauties, um, and then a 3 2 defeat at Ibrox like, later on. I think it was the December where Sutton scored the fastest ever like, uh, goal in those games, and I still went on to lose 3 2, and then there was the one in March where Big Hartson scored uh, and I maybe just gave his edge in the title running and uh, obviously the one just after Boa Vista where surprise surprise we were straight in a game at Ibrox on the Sunday after Boa Vista away in the semi um, and we won 2-1 um, so in that stretch after that game it was really kind of you knew it was going to be goal difference really because didn't fancy any of us really slipping up Um which it proved to be. Um, and I remember going to Fir Park in that spell between, like, obviously the Rangers game at Ibrox and the end of the season. And it was only maybe three, four games to go. And Motherwell were decent then. And we were expecting just a win. A win will do. But we absolutely mauled them. It was 4-0 and a couple of quick goals in succession. I remember Lambert's going in. I think that was to make it 4-0 and just utter bedlam. And that gave us the edge then in the kind of running I think there was maybe a goal two goals in front by that stage um, but remember I think it was two maybe the second last game of the season I think we played the Thursday night um, because obviously the next Wednesday night was a UEFA Cup final so we had played instead of playing the weekend they brought our game forward to the, the Wednesday or the Thursday we played in DSLA Park and we were 6-1 up and then D scored late on to make it 6-2 and it's this flat it's like kind of this like realisation that it could have been a crucial goal which obviously proved to be um, even though we won 6-2 so aye, that was it it brought it then I think Rangers won 2-0 at Tynecastle surprise surprise on the Sunday um, so I think they had a goal so a goal like to the good over us by that stage and uh, so it was going down to the last day. Obviously, we were at Seville on the Wednesday. Um, and I remember coming back from Seville on the, like, late on the Saturday night, getting back, and uh, a mutual friend of ours, Paul, you know, Kev Royal, uh, the Sunday morning we'd arranged, like, we were going through, uh, we'd get tickets. I well, went up about two or three weeks before, like, at Rugby Park at that stage, you could buy tickets uh, at Rugby Park, for like I'd get mainstand tickets, you could just go up and buy them. Change days now. Um, I just kind of obviously expected that could be a crucial game, so I bought three tickets. And my brother-in-law, me, Kev Royal, in the mainstand, which was packed really with Celtic fans. Um, but anyway, Kev Royal was coming through from Glasgow to Presswick. Uh, we meet him first thing in the, the Sunday morning uh, to again a pub, you know, Paul Flanagan's, and uh, we went and tried to get in early doors. The pub was shut, so. We'd, like, we'd already bought a carry-out for the car up to Rugby Park. Uh, so like, we decided to start just went out to the beer garden, started drinking the carry-out. And got an absolute balling for the bar manager. Uh, like, I think they could lose his licence. But anyway, uh, I think the game must have been like a two or three o'clock kick-off. It certainly wasn't a lunchtime kick-off. And I remember getting right tanked up before that. and uh, Up to Rugby Park and just like just the to and fro to and fro and like you still, I don't know what it is but you just always felt it, it wasn't going to go our way I don't know it was just my pessimistic state of mind constantly with Celtic but I just felt it wasn't going to go our way and like when you look through that Dunfermline team like the Rangers minded players uh, 
It was a shocker, really. To lose 6-1 when you knew, when Dunfermline knew that they were going to be in for like, that kind of day. Well, it was, like, surely they could have set their tactics out differently. Um, it was, it was pathetic and still still hurts, really, because like, I thought we were good enough to win the title. And uh, some, some cracking moments that season. I remember the Highbrooks game, like, as I previously mentioned, just after Boa Vista. And... Uh, at the game room on front and I was back to Alan Thompson around about that time and he was at 15 quid on him at 21 for the first goal um, but that stage well, Larson was a penalty taker uh, but he'd missed a flick I think he'd missed a couple on that but anyway we got the penalty at Ibrox I'm fully expecting Larson to step up of course Alan Thompson steps up so the nails were already shattered and then when I saw him stepping up I think like, 300 quid if this goes in I guess he'll pay, well pay for this ability trip course lots at home and just at her bedroom and uh, as I say totally bittersweet season Paul um, and that's that's my memories of it mate cheers against the Rangers who were fresh off their UEFA Cup exit did they let's show you much to the fans disappointment at Parkhead it was the Rangers that struck first Sixth minute, the ball cleared right to Mikel Arteta, and the Spaniard shot squirms under the body of Robert Douglas. 1-0 Rangers. Rangers hung on to the advantage until the 39th. Silas cross to Henrik Larsson, and the Swede produces a sensational strike. That's his 14th of the season. This one definitely worth another look. He gains control of the ball before drilling it past close. Game level at one. Celtic went ahead in the 53rd. Petrov's corner right to the unchallenged Larser. Larson, rather, no stopping that header from close range. His second of the game, and it's 2 1 Celtic. Celebrations short lived, however. Substitute Neil McCann curls an inviting ball into the box, and Ronald DeBoer rises to send it in past Douglas for level at two. But the Rangers silence the home crowd once more and take the lead. Douglas can hang on to Newman's shot. And Shota Arvaladze spins the ball over the line off the foot of Ulrich Larson. 3-2 for the Rangers. But wait, there's more. Three minutes later, Chris Sutton pokes the ball home from close range after the Rangers had failed to clear. 3-3 the final in a big game that certainly lived up to the The season itself had been absolutely incredible. We Celtic supporters watched uh, an incredible Celtic team go right to the wire in pretty much every tournament except the Scottish Cup where we deservedly lost it uh, at Inverness after playing a shadow team four days after winning at Anfield. One of the things that came out of that season which has never ever really been spoken about is the fact that that season Rangers received not only a record amount of penalties for any one team in a season, they also were the recipients of a record amount of opponents sent off against them. Matter of fact, I remember being with my mate Hosey and his girlfriend on a drive one day, deepest winter, and I'd been explaining this to him. This is about December 2002. 2002. And, um... So, you know... Laying out this theory that, you know... They fucking seem to get a penalty and a man sent off against them every single week. And we stopped in a pub... Right at the bottom of Loch Ness. The southern tip of Loch Ness. And we were playing on a Sunday... This was a Saturday, uh, and Rangers were playing Dundee United at Ibrox. Now this was, uh, you know, a pub in um, the, the the depths of Scotland. It wasn't a sort of a fairy technology and that, and it basically had teletext on the TV. So we're in there, we had a couple of pints and. His girlfriend was driving and a couple of games of pool and all that. And of course, we're keeping an eye on the scores on the teletext. And it ended up, Rangers winning 3-0 that day. You can check this up. And they, they got a penalty. And Jim Lachlan was sent off. 
And I remember Hosey just laughing and shaking his head as if to say, for fuck's sake, hi. And this was the standard for that season. It just went on and on and on. Up to the famous day at Dens Park in April of 2003, where they were awarded three penalties by John Robotham. And it was one of the ones where it felt like I'm just going to keep giving you penalties until it ensures you win the game. And these penalties, you could argue, this is the whole essence of the penalty thing. And I've said this in years and in anyone but Celtic and that. Cheating by referees is not about giving penalties, right? It's just not. But the thing is, the penalties they were given that day were the type of penalties that only Rangers get. No one else gets these types of penalties. Whilst you could argue that maybe this was a penalty, that was a penalty, most other teams would be waved away by the referee. So all that was gone on. Of course, what we didn't know then, and we absolutely know now, was the scale of cheating that was going on from Ibrox through the EBT scheme. Now let's think back to the start of that EBT scheme. Questions started to be asked when it was discovered after a police inquiry into the transfers involving Rangers, Newcastle and Blackburn about where what money was going where. And the two things that came up first in the police investigation was that Rangers had bought, had sorry sold two guy to Blackburn when Graham Soonis was the manager. And Graham Soonis received a £30,000 DBT at the same time. Was that for payment for his, um, instructing Blackburn to buy two guy? Because we all know that even by then Rangers were a financial basket case and needed money. Or, or was it when he was at Newcastle and Rangers got uh, Boomsong in for no money and then sell him for £8 million six months later to Newcastle, who happened to be managed by, oh, I Graham Soonis. So that's when the exposure of the EBT thing. And here's the point to remember. The SFA knew all about it. I said it consistently at the time when everything broke out. It was cheating. It was illegally registering players. But the SFA were aware of it. The SFA were absolutely aware of it. Rangers told them what they were doing and they okayed it. That's exactly why they drafted in the establishment figure of Lord Nimmo Smith to oversee a whitewash. Because if Rangers, although they were found guilty, were punished, then the first thing they would have stood up and said was, but we told you what we were doing. So that just gives you gives you an insight into the level of cheating. And one of Martin O'Neill's mantras at the time was, for Celtic to win the league, we didn't have to just be better. We have to be miles better. That is until the 10th minute. Chris Sutton decides, I'm going to take you down, Barry Ferguson. And while in a little discomfort, Ferguson gets back up. And don't worry, he was okay. Celtic, their first good chance in the 14th minute. Off the corner kick, John Hartson flashes on the ball through. And it rolls just out of harm's way. Better look at it on the replay. Hands on the shot. Rangers wait till the 28th minute for their first chance. Bonicel to Arveladze, who settles for Arteta. But his well-struck shot sails left, and it was zeros at the break. Celtic with a glorious chance early in the second off the corner, and again, it's Hartson with the miss. Thompson's corner perfectly to him, but he sends the header wide, and you get the feeling it may only be a matter of time. Rangers with their opportunity in the 55th. Lovenkranz on the receiving end of the lob onside, looking for that far post. But Douglas, there to deny him. Hartson redeems himself for earlier miscues in the 58th. Thompson's long ball draws both defenders to Sutton. Heads to Hartson all alone in space. 
and he's not going to miss with that much time and that much space. It is 1-0 for Celtic off the blast. Rangers' best chance to tie comes with five minutes left in the contest. But Amoroso's long free kick expertly pushed aside by Douglas. Celtic come away with a big 1-0 win over Rangers. What do I remember about um, season 2002-2003? I guess going back to the time, remember when kind of feeling a sentiment and um, you know being immensely proud of the team, um, having battled in all fronts, and you know obviously getting to the UEFA Cup final, which for me was the first time I'd ever seen Celtic beat see Celtic um, at such an occasion. So. It was huge, um, and again, having won nothing, you still felt that you'd accomplished a lot. I'm not so sure I feel like that now, you know, um, 19 years after. still look back, it was a great season, but you know, there's something that wrangles with me a bit more now, this day, than it, than it did then. It's quite hard to, quite hard to explain, but, you know, that season, what do I, what do I remember about it? Go back. Um, I forget a lot of the domestic league games um, that season. I guess just given what happened in Europe, but um, the the Rangers one stand out. You know, John three to Celtic Park and Henrik Larsson scored a couple. I mean, I can't remember. I can't believe we never won that day. I remember coming out the game going three each. How the hell did we not win? And, and then, you know, getting beat at Ibrox. I was actually in a real holiday in, in New York. And I actually remember going to, um, uh, going to the pub to, to watch the game myself with the Porters Club and Rocky Sullivan's in, in Lexington Avenue. And um, the TV went off just as the game was kicking off. The TV went blank. And they came back on a minute later. <laughs> Of the score, it was Rangers nil, Celtic one. The place went absolutely mental, even though we had the seen the goal. So, uh, but again, we get beaten that game, which is which is incredibly disappointing. Um, and then, and then we beat Rangers at Celtic Park without Henry Larson. I think he was injured at the time. Big John Hartson, you know, scoring the winner. Way off the Sutton, I think it was. I mean, we played the ball, maybe Alan Thompson, but, um, you know, that was a great victory and probably, and probably the chance to, to kind of win. And then obviously beating, and beating them at Hydrox, and after coming back to the, the semi final against Boa Vista. And it's actually winning two, drawing one, and getting beat one. You kind of think you fancy your chances to win the league wasn't to be. Um, I don't remember much about the, Cup games, I think Rangers beat us in, in, in one of them. Um, what other games do I remember? I remember the, I remember the Dundee game, the game before we went to the final, the UEFA Cup final in Seville, and we won 6 2 and kind of having mixed emotions that night as well because we had to score a barrel of the goals, which we did, but we conceded two as well. It was kind of a bit of a disappointment. We're only plus four. Um, coming out that game, we're trying to improve our goal difference. I'm being slightly disappointed that night. And um, what else? What else comes to mind? I'm not going to speak much about the, the European run. You know, I've, I guess you know we've maybe covered that in this podcast before. Obviously, you know, maybe one thing we didn't cover was getting beaten Seville, and and we were so down. It was you know probably again. I think I said this before. It was the you know, I look back at the worst experience as a, as a Celtic supporter not winning that game. You know, the league, you can win the league, you know, whenever that is, whenever that frequency is, you know, you're always challenging, but it's not very often you go to a cup final or, or a, a European final in general, so that was really, really tough. But, you know, I remember coming back to Seville going, oh, well, we've got the last game of the season, but even at that point, I don't know about me, you know, kind of, the glass half, um, the glass uh, half empty, um, and um, you know we, we went there. And I, I, I mean, it just it was one of those things. It's like we had such a great season. We deserve something, but we're only going to get it. It was almost like that in the history books, and 
And of course, you know, we've done so well with the against Kilmarnock that day, but the, the, the goals were coming in, you know, on the, you're the radio and you kind of just knew it was going to happen. So, um, that was really tough for him that day coming back up in the car, back to Glasgow was, you know, tough when I come away with absolutely nothing. No trophies that year. So, I don't remember, you know, um, all the aftermath with the, um, you know, the lying down accusations like Chris Sutton also got himself and um, got himself on a bit of bother over that. Um, it was just one of those things, like my mentality has always been that that's what's expected, right? Um, and we just kind of, we need to do what we can do to try and work around that. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a slow one, a slow one as well, it's like, you know, we all just, just, the emotions, just disappointment, you know, was, was incredible. And of course, I think the Rangers game might have finished early in hours. And I remember seeing the Kilmarnock supporters celebrating in the stand as if they just won the UEFA Cup final, um, which, you know, left a sour taste in the mouth um, because they're, you know, folks weren't Rangers supporters. Um, but anyway, um, again, such a such a, a kind of sad anti-climax, I guess. The, the best expected news. Um, on a on a personal note, um, I interestingly enough, the first game of the season uh, that year, we beat Dunfermline two-one. My cousin, myself. And my pal, my cousin Mark, myself, my pal Stoogie were there. And we had a right good few drinks, first game of the season, looking forward to it. Had not a clue what was, what was, um, ahead of us. And, um, that afternoon I won the Paradise Windfall. Um, which was, which was great. And it was quite funny because my cousin became one number away from me. Uh, my pal Stoogie, they didn't believe me. Um, I remember walking down to the front and my mate, my pal Stoogie thought I was winding, winding him up. So he refused to come down me. Thought I was just trying to, uh, take the mickey out of him and he's given me the, the, he's shown me the Pinocchio sign, you know, the long nose and all that. <laughs> and they stand the next one, I can see his face as I'm halfway on the park. He couldn't believe it. Um, Sean Fallon, the great Sean Fallon, um, Gave me the, you know, they kind of give you the big check and, you know, I remember, I think I said that I was uh, a wee bit, wee bit tipsy, so to speak, and uh, I told Sean he was one of my greatest, you know, one of my favourite Celtic players of all time, which was um, quite interesting because he retired about 20 years before I was born, but there you go, um, yeah, he was a legend and it was a great honour, a great honour uh, to, to, to kind of a check off of him and then I guess another interesting, interesting uh, piece to that and as the story doesn't end uh, a few games later that three each game I talked about earlier uh, uh, against Rangers at Celtic Park same season it must have been I don't know five, six weeks two months I don't know, later and I came one number away from winning the Paradise Windfall again I don't know if Anyone's ever won it twice. I tell you what, I don't know if anyone's won it twice in, in one season. Um, but, uh, had that happened, there's probably one or two of my pals and my family who would have lynched me. Um, I was on the park to pick it up for the second time. But anyway, that's a, that was, um, you know, that's a memory I look back on, um, um, as a, as a, as a supporter. But, uh, interesting season. And, uh, you know, one we may never see uh, in our, our lifetimes again. I can tell you one thing nobody's ever seen, and that's Stephen's winnings. So let's talk about the game at Rugby Park. It was a kind of pleasant May day. Um, Grun was absolutely heaving. Um, I was sitting in the Muffet stand. Couple of my mates, John Paul Taylor was sitting, a couple of seats away from me. 
and it was a uh, you know there was that kind of tension, um, that that kind of strangled all these games basically. And um, one of the first things that happened was that Alan Mahood almost crippled Sean Maloney, um, and got off relatively scot free with it. But you know we started to settle down a wee bit, and eventually got ourselves into a position where we scored the goal. Second half we upped the tempo and started to score another couple of goals. And what was interesting about it was, and this has been um, shown on footage and stuff like that, and Martin O'Neill commented that he'd never ever seen this in uh, all his time in football, was that if, when we went to 4-0 and were effectively league champions at this point, Kilmarnock were time-wasting. Now, before I get into that, I've heard and spoke to players who have justified that. They've said that, oh, well, you know, sometimes in games like that, you know, you're just trying to avoid a doing. I didn't buy that, right? And I certainly didn't buy that in the last game of the season, you know. It's the last game of the season, you eat everything, you know, you've got a whole summer to recover. You certainly didn't just time waste and what was happening was for example and there is footage of this at one point the ball bounced out it's 4-0 to Celtic and Jim Jeffries stood and watched the ball bounce past him your team's losing 4-0 and you're not wanting to get them back in the game you just want to prevent Celtic scoring more goals and winning the league because that's what it's all about I mean you can say whatever you like that's what it's all about you know whilst everybody has their teams and beliefs and all that kind of thing there is a common held thing amongst the majority of football fans and people in Scotland that don't like Celtic you know, now there's different levels to it. Um, I would say the vitriolic hate, uh, hatred of Celtic that we basically experience everywhere we go dissipates a little at Pataudry and Tannadice and occasionally Easter Road in the past, maybe not so much now. But it, they didn't have to support Rangers. It's just about hatred of Celtic. And that is where you get these situations unique in Scotland where it's all about preventing Celtic winning the league. Meanwhile at Ibrox, strange things were happening. You can watch the highlights of that game on YouTube. And what I ask you to do is watch it and just analyse the performance of the Dunfermline goalkeeper, Derek Stilley. Derek Stilley is a strange guy. He uh, is a champion of the Conservative Party now. He tries to be councillors and ambitions of being an MSP and all that kind of thing. And... I'm no saying that being a Tory means he's obviously a diehard hun, but it fucking helps. And his performance that day was shameful. He literally went through the motions on every single goal. And it was interesting that um, he remained Dunfermline goalkeeper after that performance, playing against us in the cup final. And basically, um, I would say he gave a helping hand to the Huns, but he never really gave any hands. And as the game went on, it has to be said that, remember this, when they needed a penalty, they got a penalty. And who was it given to them by? Scott Wilson. Now, let's think back to the context of the time that we now know. 
Jimmy Calderwood had basically been offered the Rangers job by David Murray. David Murray, whose good friend Gavin Masterton was in charge of Dunfermline. And basically, David Murray had said to Jimmy Calderwood, go to Dunfermline with Gavin, get your experience to the Scottish Premier League and you'll come here as manager when, when you're ready. To help with that, we'll give you a couple of players. Barry Nicholson, a young emerging talent, you can have him. And Scott Wilson, you can have him as well. So, there was basically a Rangers colony at Dunfermline. Aided and abetted by John Yorkston, the CEO who despised Celtic, made disparaging comments about Bobo Baldi and various things. Um, and it was basically the perfect storm of cheating that would enable Rangers to win the league that day. The two Jimmies and Sandy Clark were ready to go at the airport at quarter past five. Derek Stilley had done enough he ensured they would win the league. Scott Wilson gave them the penalty they needed in the last minute. And yet, and yet, they still took umbrage when Chris Sutton said this. Uh, as I said, I think everybody should have predicted the results are going to kick off well. Many people did. And uh, I think it's disappointing from the players who put the effort in. Uh, you know, we knew they'd lie down and that. I think it's not been professional confirmed in the way they've put it. Yeah, after all said, uh, managing the players. The O2 O3 League champion. <clears throat> the, the League champions often forgot about in this season because of the European exploits. But this was two really strong teams going head-to-head all season. It was, a, it was a real titanic tussle. Both teams finished on 97 points, which on a normal league any year would win you the league. Quite handy, so it would. The league the league games were all shown on BBC. BBC Scotland had the rights to the games, which meant that whenever what was then called Old Firm Games came round, they showed it on BBC Nationwide, which was sort of odd because at the time... Celtic had the fifth and Rangers, Rangers Oco had the sixth biggest wage bills in Britain at the time. So it's only right that these teams, you know, got top billing. And really when you think about it, this Rangers team was EBT'd up their eyeballs. You know, officially they had the sixth biggest wage bill in Britain at the time, but really probably a lot higher, so it was. And this is the backdrop against this, that this Titanic tussle took place. And the O two O three league season. I got the two league games that season. It was only fifteen. It was that's my first my first ever time going the game by myself without an adult. Which also, I suppose, it was the first time I've ever been to a different country by myself. It was the Livingston game at home? I think it's like one two one. It was the it was in February. So Livingston wore a pink kit that a purple kit that day. Livingston were quite a strong team at the time. They finished third the year before in the league. I think they got the league. They won the league cup the season after, and they went through a ride in Europe League that year too. They were spending money at the time, Livingston. That day, Henry got injured. He broke his jaw. I think it was a player called Gus Bohokan broke Henrik's jaw. So then Henrik was missing for a, a large part of the season coming up. Came back for the Liverpool game, scored after after one minute with his knee. Then the close Henrik was saying, because I was such a, a strong battle that year. I was, I was, a, I was a war of attrition that season between Celtic Rangers and Rangers Local. <coughs> parts had missed parts of the season. Sutton missed, Sutton missed parts of the I think he broke his hand one at a game. Sutton too, it was just a real. They needed a big squad. It was too heavy, but it's going head to head. Another game was at that year was the 2003 League Cup final. I never Selig played Rangers Oco. They um, again Selig up against up against referees and everything as usual. John Hurts missed a penalty. There was a goal wrongly ruled offside. 
on site be a mile, so it was. But what struck me that day was, first, I really, I really looked forward to going. The first time I've ever been to Hamden. Just a new big stadium to go to. What struck me was, whenever Celtic lost after the final whistle, the fans stayed with the team. I remember walking out that day and the sports were still staying. We had to leave early at the boat. The sports were still singing over and over, we will follow you. Whereas the Hunt's end was quite... And at the time, even though they won, they all left, you know, the Celtic sports stayed, you know, they seen the effort that the team put in for them. And after the Boa Vista game, after the heroes returned back home, back to Scotland, they had to go to Ibrox. Only three days later, four days later after a match, quick turnaround. Beach ball Sunday, terrific. It would be a mean signal now, so it would. It was top trolling that day from Celtic support. To coin a 2002, for a 2022 phrase. Top trolling, all right. That was stunning, all the, all the beach balls and sunglasses and rubber rings. and Yeah, that was absolutely incredible. I remember I, got the, I, I bought the Celtic view every week at the time. My bedroom was just completely covered. There was no wallpaper. It was just Celtic posters on the walls and the ceiling and everywhere. And Pride of Place was at the front of the centre, the centrepiece of Celtic view that day. The poster was just, I think it was a, a pink round rubber ring just in the middle of the pitch. That was, that was stunning, so it was. Then that day too, goalkeeper got injured and brought on Javier Sanchez Bruto. Bruto had a game of his life. Bruto was very good in the past year four league games. That season it was a bit of a goalkeeper tombola where you just put all the goalkeepers and names into a hat and pull one out. I've often thought that if Broto was if Broto was able to play in the Cup final, they had a, they were a better chance of winning. Of course, Javier Sanchez Broto, he was cup tied from, from playing Livingston earlier on in the season. But yeah, magical day. Beats ball Sunday. Of course, as the league games kind of down and the run in, you know, it became apparent it was probably going to go to goal difference. A lot of focus had put on Dunfermline and lying down and the last day of the season, but just as vital that day was, and it must have been the second or third last game of the season, Rangers Oco went to Dundee and they won 3 2, and it was an absolute disgrace that day. Dundee got three penalties, Dundee gave away three penalties. Lee Wilkie scored an OG and conceded two penalties and Leighton had it, had it heard it from a former Celtic player that he went out that night in Glasgow to celebrate the fact that he gave away two penalties and scored an OG but as usual that's what you're up against OK it's been brought up a couple of times on this podcast so I need to come clean I've got a story for the League Cup final 2003 was in a car going through and for some reason, probably it was just because of my lifestyle at the time, I asked about the vodka on the way through. Um, initially, I wanted to share it with my um, travelling companions, but nobody was interested. So I ended up doing a lot. I did have some tonic in it, like, but basically done a lot myself. And by the time I got out to what was then just the football pitches at Hamden, which is now Tory Glen Complex, I was absolutely desperate for a piss So That's what I did Went to the field And uh, My mate was standing beside me And I just felt this tap on the shoulder And I genuinely thought it would be my mate And it was a female police officer Saying uh, You know Issuing you with a, an on the spot fine For um, Urinating in a public um, Place And I was like I'm not doing a piss and she was like, oh, really? Okay, then I'm doing you for indecent exposure. <laughs> All right, maybe I am. So um, then she said, do you think the people of Tory Glen deserve to see your willy? <laughs> I don't know, you better ask them, eh? So that was a great start to the day. So we get in and I had great seats right to the, just to the right of the Celtic dugout. And um, still miraculous. And... The first person I bumped into uh, in the room was Keith Jackson, the, the, the Daily Record. And basically, um, I had a wee, shall we say, discussion with him. Can't really remember much about what I said because I was that drunk. But after it, this policeman said to me, um, Christ, you gave him some pillar and did you know, big man? 
all right, <laughs> cool. Um, so then I sit down in my seat, and the I turned round, and I was looking at this guy going, who the fuck's that? I recognise him. And it was Jim White, you know, Sky Sports fucking deadline day and all that shit. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing in here? And he's like, all right, big man. He goes, uh, I just met Stevie Chalmers. And I said, I can't give a fuck who you've just met. You're in the wrong end. And it was all kind of like, oh, just calm down. And I'm kind of like, I remember kind of white being quite belligerent and thinking, I might just batter everybody here. Like, again, you know, that way with a drunk fucking he doing eh? So anyway, you remember the game. Um, the Hun scored two in succession quite quickly. And I turned round, I thought, right, I'll just fucking empty this fucking Jim White bastard right off the fucking... And he was gone. Good afternoon, Paul. Uh, this week you've asked for an overview, if you like, of the 2002 and 2003 season, uh, which ended up in... Skullduggery, if you like, on the last day of the season and goal difference and all sorts of fucking shite like, but it's actually a season I remember well. Um, I remember Celtic were motoring for the first three quarters of the season. Now I knew we had a three-all draw to the Huns at home in October and they beat us in December away. But other than that, our results were good because we were double double jobbing every week in Europe and that, you know. But um, I remember us starting to drop points around mid-March uh, and into April as well. We started to drop a lot of points. We were losing, we were drawing. Uh, strangely enough, we done well enough against the Huns, aside from the League Cup final. You know, we beat him in March, and we beat him away again in April. But uh, we dropped silly points along the way. Now, I suppose it was the dreaded European hangover, if you like. But I just remember myself being at a Livingston game in February of that year, and uh, it was a big club trip. And there was a good few lads on it that had never been to Glasgow before. And the game itself was fucking turgid. Like, it was... <sighs> we won it 2-1, but, man, it was a chore to watch it. You know, it was it was real stuck-in-the-mud stuff. And at one stage, I'd say we were doing well to win it. You know, it had a draw written all over it. But uh, getting on to the day itself... I remember the day itself well, aside from the result, I ended up with a fairly harsh knee injury from something very simple when I had a few jars on me, like, but that's another yarn. Um, I remember the attendance in the local HQ, the Mary B, was fairly poor because it was the height of the communion and confirmation times here in Arklaw, and absolutely tons of the club were caught up in it. Uh, unusual for the day that was in it, you know, it would have it would have usually draw, drawn a much bigger crew. But like I say, so many of the lads were caught up in it. There were godfathers, godsons, you name it, nephews, the whole lot. But I remember, I do remember strangely, there was a kind of an ambivalence towards it. That we had it kind of sewn up. And I definitely do remember it because I was only talking to a chap about it during the week. There was a kind of an attitude that we'd blow our opposition away and the dead struggle. Looking back, I'm not really sure what that was based on, but it definitely was an attitude in and around our CSE at the time. And uh, I remember then the match, you know, and there like not being many lads out for it, but like, you know, there was a good atmosphere and all, and we were all having a good crack. And then, you know, the clock started to tick on and started to tick down and down and things were getting a bit more dramatic and it was getting a bit more nail-biting. And then, you know, the Huns clinched it. And when they clinched it, 
there was this strange kind of palpable anger in the Mary B about it. Uh, there was no shouting or roaring. It was all like arms crossed and muttering. There was almost a kind of a silence. It was really strange. We all knew that we were robbed. You know, we all knew it. Like, Sultan came on the TV shortly after the game. He said he's beat. You know, it was... It was just frustrating. Uh, I remember Big Jimmy said to me, it's May 99 all over again. And it's just as fucking blatant. It might even be more blatant, Frank. I remember him being really pissed off about it. And, uh, yeah, I just remember the rest of another couple of hours then after the game, really giving out about it. And then I remember reading up on some some of your stuff about it, Paul, and uh, (laughs) ultra shady connections, we'll call them, at the time between Dunfermline and the Huns. And, you know, it's flabbergasting stuff. I know we always say it, like, but it wouldn't go on in any other fucking league in the world. Like, there's leagues in South America and Africa they were on a cleaner fucking sheet than the than the do in Scotland, you know. It's absolutely amazing. The ties and the knots and all that stuff is tied up in. But uh yeah, it's just looking back to one of them days, it's you know, that and May ninety nine, the really st- the values really stood out to me as days that we were fucking robbed blind. You know, it was it was just decided that we weren't gonna fucking have it. And that was fucking that like like the League Cup final loss was sore because of Hartson's penalty miss. Uh, I was only at a dinner dance recently with John Hartson and it came up a good few times. And he seems to be genuinely still quite sickened over it himself. Because I think if we'd have drew up level with the fuckers, they might have fell off it a bit and we might have got back into the game and maybe clinched it. And you know, you know, you wouldn't know what kind of psychological difference that had made if we'd robbed the league cup out from underneath them. Um, they might have dropped more points or something in the league, but yeah, that's it. That's my old memories on it anyway, and the league in general. And uh, thanks for having me again, and hail, hail, good luck. I didn't really want to um, go top heavy with clips for this episode because I didn't want you to relive your pain. Um, this was about reminding and exposing the fact that we were cheated that day and pretty much cheated um, all that season. There's been a lot of comments in the podcast that, you know, we expect um, this thing to happen. We kind of knew something was going on and that. And that's exactly it. The problem is, why should we have to put up with it? It's a question that has never been answered to this day. Thank you, thank you, you're far too kind. Uh, yeah. uh, Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need y'all to roll. Look what I-
what I made for you. Knew if I paid my dues, how will they pay you? When you first come in the game, they try to play you. Then you drop a couple of hits, look how they wait to you. From RC to Madison Square, to the only thing that matters is just a matter of years. As fate would have it, J status appears to be at an all-time high. Perfect time to say goodbye. When I come back like Joy, we're in the 4-5. It ain't to play games with you, it's to aim at you. Probably name you. If I owe you, I'm blowing you to slippery. Concept, I'll take one for your team. And I need you to remember one thing. I came, I saw, I conquered. Record sales, sold out concerts. Motherfucker, if you want this encore, I need you to scream to your lungs. I'm tired of being what you 